Hello and welcome again to I Wonder. Today we have a fantastic, fantastic question. I was so happy to see this coming through my email. Have you watched the new Frida documentary on the BBC? Well, thank you for asking, Isabel. It's a wonderful opportunity to talk about an artist that I really like. And it's my pleasure to comment about the docuseries. And yes, by that I mean that I binged it a few days ago. I actually watched the first episode when it first came out, but then I wasn't feeling too well and I skipped the second one. So by the time the third one came around, I had forgotten the beginning. So I began all over again, but now I'm done. Let's start by breaking the series into smaller parts. I think it'll be better for everyone involved. Not too many spoilers, I hope, and I won't bore anyone to death. This will be part one of a bit of commentary on becoming Frida. So let's go. The documentary is organized in a very linear fashion. It's uh, quite traditional that way. Um, They also use the typical format of intermingling old footage and stills of Frida with interviews by people that the BBC chose as experts. I'm not knocking their knowledge of Frida in the least, but soon enough you start detecting that there is not one critical whisper to be had, at least not in this section. Maybe things get a bit more nuanced later on, We'll see, because if Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo Calderon was anything, it was complicated. So till this point of the episode, uh, the whole thing sounds like a fun club get-together, almost. I mean, it's gripping. I find it really interesting, of course, but sometimes it can lead to a little bit of hyperbole and inaccuracies. And, uh, well, I would expect that from a fictional movie, but not from a documentary. But high hopes, high hopes, still. In any case, I enjoyed the first half of the first episode, but I had a few misgivings about a handful of comments. They were a bit mm, soft, a bit too proper. To say, for instance, that Frida was, quote-unquote, tormented by love, it's not quite true, is it? She was tormented by the wandering eye and unfaithfulness of the men that she loved. Maybe it's not as poetic, but I feel it's more accurate. To blame her feelings of abandonment, her vulnerability, and the many, many indignities that she suffered on love seems like an exoneration of Diego Rivera, I think. It's also asserted that she was a rule breaker, and and that's true to an extent, but she had the built-in confidence of a girl who was growing up within a privileged family, a well-to-do family. The family's social standing was above the mean, and she had at her disposal opportunities that other girls of her time wouldn't have dreamt of. Something to consider, although, of course, it did not bring her happiness or health in the long run. I wish it had. 
I read a research paper that stated that Frida was actually born with a mild case of spina bifida. Her right leg was already weakened by the time she contracted polio in 1913. The disease only exacerbated the discrepancies in length and functionality in her legs. And from then on, she had to use a shoe with a platform to make up for the difference um, in length. So from the time that she was in elementary school, she was using that type of device to help her walk properly. I had a teacher in high school who wore the same type of shoe years, years later. And I remember thinking that it looked heavy and difficult to maneuver, particularly because the corresponding leg was obviously so weak. He had to use crutches all the time, which was not the case for Frida, fortunately. So I've actually seen these modified shoes in person, and I can understand that she would have felt, um, well, different, and it would have caused her psychological discomfort. Children tend to point out weaknesses and differences, and yeah, sometimes without malice, but I'm sure that it made her sad, and um, given her temperament, probably quite angry. She might have been called names also, and that added to her insecurity, but also gave her the desire to fight back. Again, we're seeing the emergence of the icon here, the persona that she so carefully crafted, and it has its inception in pain, even before her terrible accident. One little thing I found irritating was that they used the word bullying while talking in Spanish. The word in Spanish is acoso. No need to insert an English word, but, you know, that's just me. The fact is that no matter what language is used, this is Frida already hardening. She's changing. She's becoming stronger, perhaps a bit bitter, too. It's... um kind of like the way you acclimate a delicate plant to a harsh environment. You know, she kind of creates a protective shell. She tries to escape her circumstances. And I don't think that she's being gratuitously shocking. I think that it has a very practical purpose. They also call her a daughter of the Mexican Revolution, and it's true that she always wanted to associate her image with it. So much so that she moved her date of birth to coincide with the revolution, the start of the revolution. But it remains that her family was in a comfortable situation, you know. They actually suffered financially as a result of the turmoil and the social unrest that followed the revolution. Frida's mother, Matilde Calderón González, was the daughter of a professional photographer in a family of military tradition from Spain. And her father was a German immigrant who also took up photography under the tutelage of his father-in-law. They had a good level of education and few financial concerns, at least when Frida was little. And perhaps she did sympathize with the revolution from a purely ideological standpoint and also as part of the persona that she was shaping for herself from early on. She gravitated towards different because she felt different. 
she gravitated towards rebellion because it was a proactive way of warding off unpleasantness and pain. And while she was at the preparatory school in Mexico City, for instance, she was exposed to people and politics so far removed from her family, so unlike what she had known, that she felt it was so appealing. You know, she was once again different because very few girls studied at the time, and she began to engage other students who postulated radical ideas, as many young people did. It's not a time of nuance for her, you know. This is a time of extremes, a time of opposites, and she chose what made her feel, I think, radical and useful. It's a personal quest for agency. There is also some really interesting food for thought in this opening part of the documentary, but we will wait until next week to continue the exploration or analysis, although I think that's too big a word, of this program. In the meantime, if you have not yet seen it, I recommend you grab yourself a cup of tea and get through the first episode at a minimum. Soon you'll be up to date and we can continue this conversation on the next I Wonder. Also, look at some of her work from the beginning of her career. Maybe, maybe, you'll notice things you never noticed before. It's a fascinating exercise. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for the question, Isabel. I will be here again next week. Until then, take care.